God, we want you, God. We want more of you, God, in our lives. We want more of you in our midst, God. Lord, and truly, Lord, from the depth of our hearts, Lord God, we declare to you that your presence is everything to us, God. Fill us, God. Fill us, God. Fill us afresh, my Lord. Overflow our lives, God. We honor you this morning, Lord. We bless you today. Come on and give your God a hand of praise. He's worthy. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, chapter 27. As you're turning there, does everyone have an outline? Yes, if you don't have an outline, raise your hand, and the ushers will make sure they get you one. If you don't have an outline, lift their hand up. The ushers are getting you one right now. You have to do some writing today, and we'll deal with that in a moment. As I was printing, my printer got crazy. Hallelujah. So have a lot of ghost lines there, but we're going to fix that. Amen? Amen. Well, hopefully you have a pen so you can fix it. If not, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> Glory to God. The book of Acts, chapter 27, we'll begin reading in verse 1 to verse 13. When you got it, say so. so. And it says, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of the Andromatium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of, Thess of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When he had put, out to, when, when he had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and a city of Lycia, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on a board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salome. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Haven near the city of Lycia. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest in the winter there. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. Father, we love you. We thank you for your truth. God, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Spirit of God, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. Open our ears, God. Soften our hearts. Let us be attentive to your voice. Let us not only be hearers of your word, but doers. God, may you be glorified in us in these next few moments, Lord God. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in this earth as it is in the heavens. And someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. 
And so really quickly, um, if you look at your outline, like I said, I didn't, and I totally apologize because I didn't check as I was printing, and so obviously you can see the printer ran out of ink, hello. And so that caused some issues. But what I want you to do is I want you to write down the questions here. The first part, that's the introduction. We, you, you can write that down if you want as I go through it. But just so that way you have the questions, those, those, those questions are on the second side. Four questions there. The first question is this. You may not have it written down. It may have printed out a little bit. But just so you have it, what one thing did you get out of, this, out of the message? That's the first question. Um, but one thing did you get out of the message? The second question, and these are questions that will be discussed in your connect group, so it's important that you get this down. The second question is, measuring your own life in general, would you say, this is long, so just start writing, measuring your own life in general, would you say you are able to clearly discern God's will or do you struggle? That's the first part of the question. Measuring, or, the, or should I say the first question, measuring your own life in general, would you say you are able to clearly discern God's will or do you struggle? And the second half of the question is, how can we grow in identifying the will of God being revealed to us? So the first half of the question, measuring your own life in general, would you say you are able to clearly discern God's will or do you struggle? And then the second part of the question is, how do we grow in identifying the will of God being revealed to us? Third question. In what area were you convicted, encouraged, or challenged? In what area were you convicted, encouraged, or challenged? And the last question, another long one here. In which area or areas of your life are you not fully submitted to the mission of the gospel? In which area or areas of your life are you not fully submitted to the mission of the gospel? Second part is explain and discuss how you can grow in these areas in the mission of the gospel. So first part of the question, in what area or areas of your life are you not fully submitted to the mission of, of the gospel? The second part of the question is explain. You're going to explain your answer and discuss how you can grow in these areas in the mission of the gospel. So the title of the message, as you see in the top of your page there, is Gospel Mission Preservation. And the first thing that I want to say is this, is to be a faithful extension of the first century church, we must ensure that our mission is gospel-centered. As I was sitting down and I was looking at, the, at these passages and I was praying and just meditating, as I, actually I was driving on the way to an appointment that I had, and the Holy Spirit began to speak that to my heart, that, that the whole point of us going through the book of Acts is not just to learn some new things. I hope that you learned some new things throughout these last 26 less, um, messages that have been preached from here. I hope you get, gained some stuff that you didn't see before. But more than all of that, more than some cute things that you might have learned along the way, more than some things that you may understand, the real reason why we started going through the book of Acts is because we want to look at God's blueprint for his church. We want to look at what God wants for his church. And what I understand is that when I look in the, in the book of Genesis and I look in the Garden of Eden, what I find is what God originally intended for man. Amen? God intended man to work. He didn't intend man to have hardship. He didn't intend man to have difficulty. He intended man to be blessed. He intended man to be fruitful. He intended man to multiply. This is what he intended from the beginning. This is something that we can see there. And when we look at that, what we can do as Christians is look at what God intends and desire for our lives to imitate that and to be the way that God originally intended. It is no different for the church. 
When we look at the book of Acts, what we are seeing is God's intention for his church. And you and I are part of that church. And so my goal, my desire is to simply be an extension of the first century church. I don't want to be a church that is not on the same agenda as the first century church was. Because when God established his church, he made it very clear what the agenda of the church was supposed to be. Hello, somebody. In our days, we have all kind of different agendas. You go to, you go to any church and, you know, most churches, you know, the, 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 the big thing, you know, and, and this is part of, you know, business models. What they'll do is they will communicate to leaders. Whenever you read a book on church growth, the first thing they're going to tell you is you got to have a vision. Amen. You got to have a vision. If, you, if you're going to do a business, you got to have a vision. There's got to be some clarity as to what your goals, what your objectives, what your aim is. And so what happens is, as a church, and we do the same, we're no different than any other church on that. But here is a thing that I understand, is that if we are faithful to our Bibles, our vision, our mission will look similar. Why? Because it comes from the same place. The Bible teaches us that our greatest aim is to do what? Is to glorify God. The way that we articulate it in our vision is that our desire, and for those of you that are in the vision carrier class should know this, our desire is to do what? Is to please God. To please Him in everything, in everything that we do. My goal as a preacher is to preach and teach and to lead a church that will have one passion in its life. That if I die today, my hope is that I have instilled one principle and is that all of your life should revolve around God and your Your greatest passion and greatest desire is to please him in all that you do. The vision that we should have as a church, all we got to do is look at our Bible and say, okay, God, what is it that you want? We don't have to make stuff up. Hello? We don't have to be cute with stuff. We can just simply go to the scriptures. But see, for some people, simply going to the scriptures is outdated. Because we're looking for the next model. Hello? We're looking for the next new thing. We're trying to find out what works in that mega church over there, so we're going to go ahead and do that. Can I tell you something? God started his church as a mega church. Y'all ain't saying nothing. God began his church. The first message that was preached, it won over 3,000 souls were added. It says 3,000 souls were added to the church. So what did God do? God showed you how to have a mega church. What did he say? Get filled with the Holy Ghost, preach the gospel. It's a oh glory to God. It is a simple, it's a simple equation. Holy Ghost, gospel, lives are changed. That's it. You need, you need the Holy, you need the Spirit of the Living God to come and dwell in you. You need the Spirit of God to change you so that way when you preach the gospel, the power of God is manifesting and hearts are convicted and are penetrated and lives are changed and turned to Jesus. It doesn't mean every single person you preach to is going to respond in faith. It doesn't mean that. You know, we've gone through the book of Acts and we've seen there is always two responses to the gospel. Those who accept the gospel and those who reject the gospel. And so for us to be faithful, what we have to do is we have to make sure that our mission is gospel-centered. And the reason why this is so important is because the church cannot, hear what I'm saying, the church cannot get caught up in the agendas of the day as an end, but as a means to proclaim the gospel. See, what happens to us is that we see, we're not blind, right? We see the different agendas that are out there that, that, that we get worked up about. Hello. I'll, maybe I'm the only one that gets worked up, right? You, 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 you see people trying to, you know, like, like, for example, you see people trying to redefine marriage. Hear me? That, that, that's an agenda in our day, right? I know people, oh, don't talk about that, Bishop. That's not politically correct. I don't care. 
I'm not going to get caught up in that agenda. I'm going to speak the truth. Here's the problem with us is that we get stuck on the agenda. We, 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 make, we put a stake in the ground, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to make everyone know, whether it's through Facebook, through Twitter, wherever I can be, I am going to make sure everybody knows that God is the one who established the definition of marriage. Amen. But do you go any further than that? Do you go any or do you just get stuck on the agenda and fighting this battle that, listen, it's not about all of that. People are going to make decisions no matter how much you preach to them. Hello. No matter how much truth you show them, there are some people that are going to reject that truth, and that is it. But what is the job of the church? It is not to look at the agenda as an end, like, oh, we know what, finally, well, we're going to, if it were to happen this way, I doubt it will. But nonetheless, if we can get laws that declare that, you know, marriage is between one man and one woman, then we've arrived, we check that off, and we're good to go. Is that the end? No. That's a means in order to communicate what? The glorious gospel of Jesus. No matter what the agenda is in the day, our heart should be this. It is that we don't get stuck on those things that the enemy wants to trip us up with. It doesn't mean, hear me, please hear me clearly. It does not mean that we are silent about these things that contradict the scriptures. Because here is the truth. You and I cannot be faithful witnesses for the gospel if we are not willing to confront the sins of our day. Are you hearing me? Because the solution to every person who struggles with whatever the situation may be, guess what the solution is? The gospel. It is the gospel. Listen, I I want you to hear it this way. No matter what the agenda is, the solution, the answer is the gospel. It is the gospel that changes people's life. We know that what? The gospel is the power of God under salvation. And so we as a church have to look at what was going on in the early church and how they lived their life. And here's the thing that we realize. In these latter parts, we see a lot of ministry by one person, and we don't necessarily see the entire church collectively. And so we can easily dismiss this and say, well, that was Paul's mission. That was Paul's way of living. But, but let me remind you, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, not the Corinthian church leaders. He writes to the Corinthian church and tells them what? Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Is that not what he says? He communicates this, and what he's saying is, what you see in me, because I am imitating him who was sitting on the throne, then you imitate that. Not because you're called an apostle, not because you're called a pastor, not because you're called a deacon, not because you're called an elder, not because you're called an evangelist, not because you're called a prophet, not because you're called a teacher. No, because you are called a child of God. Therefore, all of your life must be consumed by one thing, and that is the glory of the gospel. The key to being a gospel-centered church, because that's our goal, the key to being a gospel-centered church is and, and living on gospel mission is individual lives that are gospel-centered. Let me say this again. The key to being a gospel-centered church, which would mean a people who are living on gospel mission, is individual lives that are centered on the gospel. Here's how we do this in part. First of all, we will, I'll give you two things. The first one is this, is that you must saturate yourself in the word of God where the gospel is being continually revealed. That's the first thing. If you are not in the gospel, if you are not in the truth of the scriptures, guess what's not happening? Your heart is not becoming overwhelmed by Jesus. Let me, let, let me put it to you like this. If I am spending quality time with Jesus, Pastor Robert, he said this earlier. He said that I always say that you should not come to church empty, 
but you should come to church overflowing. Amen? So here's what happens. If I come to church and I have been in my word throughout the week, amen, glory to God. I've been in the scriptures throughout the week. I've been seeking God's face. God has been speaking to my heart. In our connect group, I challenged everyone in the group. I said, I want you to take one scripture a week that you can meditate on that is a reminder of a gospel picture that shows you something and meditate on that. And every time that we get together on Tuesday, I want us to discuss what scripture. I want you to tell me what scripture has been rocking your heart for the glory of Jesus. Why? Because I realize that if you are not meditating on the scriptures, if you're not meditating on the gospel, your heart is not being overwhelmed by the gospel. And if your heart is not being overwhelmed by the gospel, you're not going to be all glorifying God. And you know what happens in our churches today? We wait to be inspired by man instead of allowing ourselves to be inspired by God. Hear me. We wait for the preacher to say something that hits a nerve. We wait for the music ministry to play our favorite song. Hello, somebody. We wait for, for, for certain things to move us when what should move us is that I have been in the presence of the almighty God who has been changing me and moving me and doing in me something that I cannot contain it, but I'm being changed by it. That's what should happen. See, 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 because when we read our Bible, you know what we don't see in the book of Acts? And I'm going to put it out there like this. We don't see in the book of Acts big old music ministries. Hello. They didn't have sound system. They didn't have multimedia. Some of y'all would have hated the church back then. Hello. I'm just saying. Been like outdated. But you know what they did have? They had the power of the Holy Ghost. They had the gospel of Jesus being proclaimed. They had something that every church today needs. And what was happening was they were, they, they were separating or they would come together, hear the word of God. They would separate, go into homes together. They would talk about what the apostles' doctrine, which was what? It was the gospel. It was the revelation of who Jesus is, the revelation of what Jesus had done, the revelation of what God did for us. They were being overwhelmed by that. And when they came together, they couldn't help but do what? worship God. They didn't need the best of anything to minister to one another because of what? Because they were being ministered to by the power of the gospel. So the first thing that has to happen to us is we have got to get passionate about the gospel. And that only, listen, it doesn't happen by hearing a message. It doesn't happen by you coming to church. It, it, that isn't how it happens. It happens by you being in the presence of the author of the gospel. And as we are in the presence of the one who is the author of the gospel, he begins to change our minds. He begins to infuse our heart with the truth that is changing us. But then there's a second thing that has to happen to us. Is that as we are meditating on the gospel, as we are being inundated with the gospel and being saturated in the truths of the gospel, we also have to do this other thing. We have to constantly be asking ourselves as individuals, are my goals are my views, are my values, are my desires, are my pursuits, are my commitments, etc. Are those things gospel-centered? See, because it's one thing, see, because I know this, 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 this what happens to us. We know our Bibles, but for some reason, for some of us, we have this disconnect it's like our Bible and the scripture is good for our prayer time. Our Bibles and our scripture are good for our church time. But when it comes to living our life, we compartmentalize and we don't bring the scriptures to where they need to be full circle in the way that I live my life. So I have to ask myself all kinds of questions. And here's what happens for the young people that are in here and that you're getting ready to go to college or, you know, thinking about careers in the future. Here's the thing. It's not so much about the career that you choose. It is, is that career in the will of God for you and in that career 
Is your number one objective to bring glory and honor to Jesus and to be that gospel witness? Or do you choose, do you want to do this thing because you just want to make money or because you want to make someone proud? Or is the real goal that, you know what, God, I have been seeking you. I've been pursuing you. i never forget when I, when I was a young little kid and I was, in, you know, I didn't even know what an architect was. Hello. I must have heard the word somewhere. And I'm eight, nine years old. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an architect. Okay. I remember all the way up until middle school, I want to be an architect. And then I got crazy, went, you know, lost every, you know, sign of brains, hello, and, um, and, and dropped out of school in ninth grade. You know, glory to God for his mercy. He brought me back and, you know, allowed me to work those things out. But here's what happened. I didn't want to be this architect anymore. Well, when I got saved, there was something else I was burning inside of me. It wasn't to go ahead and be this architect. It was to be a preacher of the gospel. That's what burned in me, to be a preacher. Here's the thing. For some of you, there's, you, 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 you're, you're not burning to be up here and preach. Hello. And it wasn't, let, let me clarify. It wasn't that I was like, yeah, I want to be up in front of people. I don't like being up in front of people. I don't like to be the one that everybody's looking at like, what's he going to say? I got to think about everything I'm saying, making sure everything word is right because, you know, y'all make dictionaries for me. Hello. Right. Got, got people telling me I use double negatives. I'm like, glory to God, I just double negative all day. But the point of that, so I, I don't like all that attention. It's not, it wasn't about that. It was because Jesus changed my life. And, 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 and I knew that there was something that was burning in me. But here's the thing, that no matter what it is that you are called to do, because for some of you, God may call you to be a lawyer. He may call you to be a doctor. He may call you to o- open a business. He may call you to do those things. But there is one purpose. He wants to position you so you can be a lighthouse for the gospel. But if you don't ask yourself that question, you start running after your own goals. You start running after your own purposes. You're not saying, God, what is your will for my life? You're like, this sounds good. This sounds great. I'm going to give you a quote from Beth and Dan Holland. Dan Holland, you guys know he's my, he's my ministry coach. And as we were sitting down, I, I, uh, the appointment I was on my way to when I was writing down this stuff, it was to see him. And so I was just started bouncing off some things. And he said, you know, my wife and I always tell our kids this. Be where you're supposed to be. Doing what you're supposed to be doing, and everything will work out. Be where you're supposed to be. Do what you're supposed to be doing, and everything will work out. What are they talking about? What they're talking about is you need to be where God wants you to be. Be there. Be present. And do what God wants you to do. Do it all for his glory. And you know what? You may go through hardship. You may go through difficulty. As we're going to see in this story here, you may go through all kinds of stuff. But the beauty of it is, is that God guarantees that all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. Amen? The first thing, repeat this after me. Say, we must be obedient to God's direction to ensure our preservation. We must be obedient to God's direction to ensure our preservation. Now, just to bring us back to the scriptures here, what we realize is that this, this beginning, the, the first like nine verses um, in chapter 20, or the first eight verses um, of chapter 27, they're simply giving us some history. They're telling us how Paul began to move and sail from where he was, from Caesarea, to get to Italy. So he's showing us this picture. And as he's giving us this, you'll notice something, that it says the winds were contrary, right? It, it, it seems like there was some resistance that was there, just in the natural. It wasn't like, you know, the devil's over there blowing against them. Hello. I'm just saying, you know, because everything is a spirit for some people. There's just sometimes some natural stuff that just makes stuff difficult, amen? Bad weather, hello. Right? 
So that it was some bad weather. The timing wasn't, wasn't exactly right. And so it was giving us some history. Nonetheless, there was resistance to this. And so what happens is Paul gets to this place. And, and, and here's what we got to realize is that there is no question. There should be no question by now that Paul was destined to go to Rome. No question at all. There is no question that Paul was destined to be before Caesar. This is God's will, and we'll see it confirmed as we continue to go through chapter 27. Nonetheless, there was some difficulty that was there. The most important thing is this, is that when we talk about gospel mission preservation, it is God who preserves us as we are on his mission. And the one thing that is so very important, I teach this in the vision carrier class, faith without works is dead. Hello. And so I can say that I have faith in God all day long, but if I do not obey him, if I don't obey what he says, I am lying. Hello. I am not telling the truth. Oh, yeah, I believe you, God, but I'm not going to do anything you say. It's kind of like my daughter, you know, that trust game that you play, you know, you stand behind them. Don't look back. Just drop back. I'm going to catch you. Right? If my daughter trusts me, guess what she's going to do? She's going to drop back and she's going to let daddy catch her. If she doesn't, hello, what is she going to do? Be like, oh, daddy, I trust you, but I ain't dropping. Baby, I got you. I, yeah, I, I trust you. And she's just standing, not falling. Does she trust me? Absolutely not. She doesn't trust me enough to just allow me to catch her. In our relationship with God, it's the same thing. So notice here what happens in verse 9. I just want you to look at verse 9. In verse 9, it says this. Now, when much time had been spent... And sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. And so during the time of the year, it was around October, around that time, after the fast day of atonement. And so around that time is when the weather changes. And when the weather changes, it's difficult. You know, I remember when we, when we got married, we got married on September 27th. And I remember that we were going on a cruise, you know, for our honeymoon. And people were like, man, you know, that's around like hurricane season. It can get a little crazy out there. And that's just the season. It just is what it is during, during those times. Same thing here. So it's simply telling us what time of year it was. So they had spent a long time. They, they, they had spent more time, obviously, than they had wanted to. And then Paul speaks up in verse 10. He says, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. The first thing I want you to notice is that Paul was not an expert in sailing by any means. Hello. He, 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 didn't, he didn't take a special class in sailing. He didn't have any special insight. He simply knew. Something communicated him, obviously, as they're on their way to where they got. Things were difficult. And so he's recognizing. And, 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 and so what I'm seeing here is he opens his mouth. Now, usually when you're not the expert in the room, unless you're just like real prideful, hello? No, there's some people that they're not the expert, but they think they know everything. Hello? And they got to comment about everything. They don't know anything, but they, they want to comment. They want to add their two cents. Hello? I'm just saying, Paul wasn't that guy. Paul didn't think he knew everything. Paul simply said, look, I perceive, I'm, I'm seeing something. If we continue on this voyage, there is going to be some loss. This is going to be disastrous for us. So he speaks up contrary to what the experts are going to speak up and contrary to what the majority. And although he was ignored, I want you to get this, he was the mouthpiece of God. Although he wasn't the expert in the room, although he didn't have all the answers, the answer that he had, he was the mouthpiece of God. He was the one that God was using at that very moment to communicate a warning to the people that he was with. The, the next verse goes on to say this in verse 11. It says, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. 
So first of all, they ignore Paul. They don't want to hear anything he has to say. And I want you to think about these things. Let's look at some of the reasons why they ignored the godly counsel that they were getting. And the reason I want you to look at this is because these are some of the reasons why we ignore godly counsel in our lives. These are some of the same reasons why we ignore God and end up going through storms he never intended for us to go through. Are you only saying nothing? It's, it's for some of these same reasons that we see here. So the first thing that we see, verse 9, this is the first reason why he was motivated to ignore Paul. Now when much time had been spent. So what this is saying is they had been there longer than they wanted to be. So, you know, because we're impatient, hello somebody, right? We, want, we, we, we live in that microwave generation. We want everything right now like it's hot, real quick, fast food, everything, uh-huh. Right? We can't wait on something. We, we, it needs to be now. We need to get this thing done now. And so because of our impatience, because we've been here for, and we feel like, man, I've been here long enough. I don't need to be here anymore. Hello. So the first thing we see, the first reason that, that motivates them, you know, because we got to see why would they ignore Paul? Well, the first one is they've been there longer than they thought they should have been. So they did. I, I don't want to do that. The next thing that we find in verse 11, he says, now the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by Paul. So the first thing was the impatience. They were there for a long time. The second thing was the experts spoke in favor of leaving. So this happens to us too. You know, we read that expert's book on whatever we're going through. Are y'all hearing me? Not this book. This is the expert's book we should be reading. Amen? I'm just saying. But we go find another expert, you know, someone else that we trust, someone else that has been advised to us, you know, because we're, 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 we're a reading generation, right? I guess. I don't know. But anyway. <sighs> we have access to all kind of ability to have things read to us at least, right? And so we pop that thing in our car and we're listening to the book being read to us. Or we go and we get counsel from someone who has been there, done that. And the, and, and, and the experts, sometimes now, the experts speak contrary to what God is speaking. But because it's an expert, we let our guard down. And we listen to the expert rather than listening to God as he's speaking to us, okay? So that's the second reason. The first one, patience was an issue. The second one, the expert spoke in favor of them leaving. The third one, in verse 12, look at verse 12. It says, and because the harbor was not suitable to winter in. Because the harbor wasn't a suitable place to winter in, it was an uncomfortable place. They were going to be somewhere that they really didn't want to be. See, that's another one. That, that, that falls in line. That's, that's kind of like akin to right next to being impatient, right? You don't want to be uncomfortable, right? So I won't listen to God's counsel because listening to God's counsel means that I'm going to be uncomfortable. So we say, you know what? I've been here long enough. The experts are saying I'm doing the right thing. And man, it don't even look good to stay here. So you know what? We're going to go. But it's not, done. it's not finished there. The next thing that we find in the, in the second part of verse 12, look at that with me. It says, and the majority advised to set sail. So you know what? They took a vote. They took a vote and said, okay, this guy says we shouldn't go. We've been here too long. The experts say we're good. You know what? This is not a good place to hang out for any longer anyway. So let's take a vote. So when they take a vote, we start listening to the majority. Everybody, Well, everybody's saying I should do this. Are you hearing me, church? See, this is how we miss God's direction. And the last one that we see here in verse 13, it says, When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, put out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. 
So what does this, this verse tell? It seemed like, well, it seemed like all the bad weather, all the difficulty, it was done. So I must have had a green light to go. That's what they thought. But here's, here's what we got to get, church, is that the centurion in this thing, he probably didn't know God. What is our excuse? So you remember that, that second question there? Measuring your own life in general, would you say you are able to clearly discern God's will or do you struggle? See, God wants to direct our lives according to his will. He doesn't want us to go through things we don't need to go through. But the question is, are we willing to listen to him against what our feelings are? Are we willing to listen to him against our own impatience? Are we willing to listen to him against the advice of the experts? Are we willing to listen to him despite what the majority is doing? Are we willing to listen to him and and, and even though it seems like I'm good to go? See, this is what we have to ask. Am I really willing to listen to him? See, because here's what I want you to get. Too many folks experience unnecessary trials and hardship in their life due to disobedience to God's word, meaning the word of God. Hello. See, because what we would, and especially us that come from any kind of like Pentecostal, spirit-filled background, you know, we learn about the Holy Ghost, but we forget about the need of the word of God in our lives. And we're asking God for answers that he already gave us, and we just don't want to take the time to open up our Bibles and let him speak directly to us. We want him to come and speak to us audibly when he already inspired the scriptures for us. But we don't want to get down into the scriptures, and then what he'll do because he's merciful and he's gracious to us is that he'll bring us biblical or sound counsel, somebody that may not be an expert, but somebody who is seeking God, someone who is praying, someone who is really asking God for his will and his direction. And God just decides, I'm going to just speak to this person for you, and you have a choice. You can listen to them or you can ignore them. So we ignore his word, we ignore biblical counsel, and then there are other times that God will just call you out directly with a prophetic word and tell you, this is my will. This is not my will. So the truth is, we have a choice to make, just like the centurion did. And see, we don't have an excuse. If you're, if, listen, if you are a child of God in this place, you have no excuse not to discern the will of God. We have no excuse. And listen, it doesn't mean knowing the will of God is always easy. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is it's possible. For a child of God, it is possible to know the will of God. And if you are not a child of God, today God calls you to repent of your sin. Today God calls you to put faith in Jesus so he can direct your life. So he can guide you on the mission that he's called you to be in, which is part of his gospel mission. The second thing, repeat this after me. Say, consequences. Of disobedience, do not disqualify us from God's call. Consequences of disobedience do not disqualify us from God's call. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, but not long after, a a tempestuous headwind arose called Euryclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clouda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on, on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they, they lightened the ship. 
On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with our, we, 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 threw the, we, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor star appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Paul gives him this warning and says, listen, I'm committed to the gospel. I'm committed to God's purposes. I don't think that we should go. They go against his counsel. They go against God's wisdom. They go against God's direction in that moment. And then they find themselves in the middle of the hardest storm of their life. The beauty of this is that when we look at this whole thing, whether it, we, we, or this is not beautiful, this is actually pretty sad, but whether it's our personal disobedience or that of the folks we are with, consequences will follow disobedience. Yet, the gospel gives us hope, not a license. It gives us hope in the seasons when we are reaping a bad harvest. See, here's the thing. When I disobey, see, when I personally decide I'm not going to do what God wants me, there's consequences for that. When I listen to those around me and I decide to follow them rather than follow God, there's consequences. When there is disobedience, there are consequences. And the one thing that I want you to notice is that the consequence that we find here in the scripture is not something that came out of nowhere. It's something that was just a natural situation. Hello. It was a natural storm. That storm was going to occur whether Paul and these people were on the ship, on the waters or not. And nonetheless, that was the consequence that God had. And here's what will happen to us. Sometimes we will see natural situations that are going on and we will ignore them as, oh, well, that was going to happen anyway, as though God's hand was not in it. Listen, we need to realize that God uses all of these things for a purpose, and it is to do what? To get us to the place of repentance. To get us to the place to recognize that we have disobeyed him. And what I said is that there is hope in the gospel. The gospel doesn't say, listen, just disobey and everything's going to be okay. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says you have an advocate with the Father. Hello. You have one who intercedes for you continually. You have one who's been tempted in all ways and yet, and yet found without sin. You have one who can sympathize with you. That is your high priest, Jesus. That's what the gospel says. And he prays for you and he intercedes for you and he speaks. He sends the spirit of God to speak to you. He gives you his word so that way you do not fall prey to the temptations that the enemy wants you to fall into. But the question is, are you going to obey God? You're going to obey your own feelings. You're going to obey the majorities. Are you going to ignore? what God is communicating because if you do then there are consequences and the beauty of it is is that our God doesn't want us to experience these consequences God allows and at times hear what I'm going to say right now God allows and at times brings consequences at times he see we, we, we think like God can't bring consequences doesn't the Bible say that we should not despise the chastening of the Lord because those who chastens those are the ones he loves that's called bringing consequences. Hello. There, there, there are moments in, in, when, when as, as a parent, think about it like this. There are moments that you, your children, are going to experience consequences that are brought on because of their disobedience. Example that I will give you. If you, are, if you have the stove on in your house and your child decides that they're going to put their hand on top of that burner, you know what's going to happen to them? They're going to experience a consequence. Hello. 
But now, if your child is walking toward that stove and you see them getting ready to put their hand on there after you've told them ten times not to put their hand up there and you grab their hand and you smack their hand, is that not a consequence you brought on? That's a consequence as a parent that you did for what? Because you don't want them to get burned. Hello. You don't want them. See, a smack on the hand is not going to be a permanent scar. Hello. And so when you look at that, what happens is our Father in heaven, sometimes he allows consequences. Other times he brings them. And he brings them to us because he loves us. He brings them to us because he cares for us. And what he wants is for us to do what? Is to repent of our sin. To repent and recognize our disobedience. And not just that, but to put our faith, our trust, and all of our hope in Jesus and him alone. The last verse here in verse 20, I want you to notice this. It says, Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no, and, and, and no small tempest beat on us, all the hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Notice this. Because they disobeyed, they found themselves where? In hopelessness. They found themselves in a place of total despair. They were like, man, we're, we're not going to get out of this. Matter of fact, they start lightening the load and they're like, man, hopefully, hopefully something will happen. But they lost all hope. Why? Because of one thing. It wasn't because of the storm. See, that, that's our issue as well. On one side, we'll ignore the storm because it was natural it was going to happen. On the other side, on the other side, we get upset because of the storm. Why does God allow these storms to happen? Instead of recognizing it isn't the storm's fault, it's your fault. It isn't the storm's fault. It's your fault. You disobeyed. You did not do what God said. And so you're going to experience the consequence. But here is what God does. God doesn't want us to be hopeless. Hello. He doesn't want to leave us in despair. And what you have to realize is that this is an amazing picture of every person who does not know Jesus. Are you hearing me? There is no hope of salvation apart from the light of the gospel coming into their life. There is no hope of them being saved apart from the life. But here is the issue. The issue is that you have many people that they, 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 they ignore or don't even recognize that they are being beat up by this, 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 these winds and these hardships. And they're going, they're going through all, and they don't even recognize that they are lost without hope. And our job is to do what? Is to communicate to them in love, to them in love, that there is a gospel that can save them and deliver them. Amen? Amen. The third thing, I should repeat this after me. Say, God's purposes will be fulfilled even if we experience loss. See, I know we don't want to hear that. We just want to hear God's purposes are going to be fulfilled and you're going to get double for your trouble. Mm-hmm. That's what you want to hear. I know. That's what I want to hear. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's what we want to hear. Every one of us wants to hear, my, well, your life's going to be just like Job's life. Y'all know he got double for his trouble, right? You read the story of Job. At the end, he got double. Everything he lost, he got double. That's what the Bible, is not what I'm saying. That's what the Bible says. And so we all hope that we can get double for our trouble. We don't want the trouble, really. Hello. But we want double. I'm just saying. And so here, here's the thing. God's purposes will be fulfilled even if we experience loss. There's consequences, right? There's things that we will experience. And one of them can be loss, loss of different things. Look at verse 21 to verse 44. We'll read all of these verses together and then we'll come back. 
It says, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, man, I told you so. Bishop, it don't say that. Yes, it does. That's exactly what he's saying. As a matter of fact, when he says there, when he, when he says here, when you, when you look at that, that, that verse, it says, men, you should have listened to me. Literally, what that means in the Greek is you should have obeyed me like I was your master. That's, th- that, that's the strength of that word that he's saying. He's pretty bold. He goes from saying, guys, I perceive that we're going to lose some stuff. He's saying, y'all should have bowed to me. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. He didn't say bow. He said, y'all should have listened to me like I was the man, like I was the leader. That's what he was saying. You should have listened to me. And so, you know, we get upset when we go through something and someone comes in. And I do it, I do it in marriage counseling all the time, right? Someone comes in there. He or she, because I don't know, sometimes it's either or, always saying, I told you so. Listen, if you keep on making dumb decisions, why can't someone tell you, I told you so? Maybe you will get it, so next time you'll be like, she told me so last time, so maybe I should listen this time. Hello. Y'all don't want to hear that. See, like I said, y'all don't want to hear that. You want me to tell them, don't tell them I told you so. If you ever sit in marriage counseling, I'll tell you, don't say that because you don't need to rub it in their face. But, here, but right now, I ain't going to say that. What I'm saying is, sometimes you need to hear, I told you so. And Paul must have thought so because he told him, listen. He didn't just jump into the, the encouragement. He first let him know, y'all should have listened to me. Y'all should have heard what I was saying. Y'all should have paid attention. He said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. So who brought it upon themselves? They did. You brought this upon yourself. But then he goes on to say this. And let me, let, let, let me, let me pause for a moment. When you say I told you so, say it one time and leave it alone. Hello, somebody. Every time you get into an argument, don't say, I told you so. You already told me that. Hello. It's okay to say it one time. Don't get, you know, don't, don't get stuck on that. I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. Because I've seen that. That's really ugly. That's not, that's not what Paul did here. As a matter of fact, he goes from the place of telling you I told you so to now giving you the encouragement that you needed. He says, and now I urge you, verse 22, to take heart. In other words, be encouraged. Be strong. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. And literally when he's saying there that God has granted you, he's he's literally saying that God has granted favor to everyone on this ship that is with you. This is what he's telling Paul. God is, God is speaking to him and saying, listen, he's, he, and, and Paul is encouraging them and telling them, look, you should have listened to me, but I want you to take heart. You, know, you made a bad decision, but here's the deal. God spoke to me. God gave me a word to encourage. And while verse 20 tells us what? That there was no hope of them being saved. That's what it says there. It says no, 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 no light had shined and they were hopeless of being saved. But then what does God do right after they get to the place of hopelessness? He gives them hope. This is how our God loves us. He doesn't want to leave us in despair. He doesn't want to leave us in hopelessness. He wants to give us the, the right kind of hope. He says, therefore, verse 25, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However... We must run aground on a certain island. 
In other words, there's going to be a wreck. There's going to be some hardship. It says, now when the 14th night had come, and as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings and again found it to be 15 fathoms. Then, fearing lest they should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. Hello. These people been fasting for 14 days and they suddenly became super spiritual. Hello. They were, they, were, they were praying. They're like, God, let the day come. And in verse 30 says, And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Notice Paul is saying, look, everybody's got to stay here. We can't just bounce. Y- y- y'all can't just leave and, and leave some of us. All of us have to be here. And verse 32 says, Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Verse 39 says, When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And when and, and they let go of the anchors and, let, and, 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 let, and, left, and left them in the sea, meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners. Listen to this now. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape but the centurion wanting to save who kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump jump overboard first and get to the land and the rest some on board some on parts of the ship and so it was that they all escaped safely to the land so God's purposes will be fulfilled even if we experience loss If it's not clear by now, it should be clear that God never intended them to go to this, to go through this storm. And due to the disregard of sound counsel, they entered into this place of hopelessness. God didn't want them to be hopeless. God didn't want them to experience the storm. God didn't want them to lose the ship. God didn't want them to have to fast for 40 days. I mean, 14 days. He didn't want them to be in a place of hopelessness. It was because they disregarded the counsel. But here's the thing, a life that is rooted in the gospel will be a life on mission with the gospel. And when our lives are on mission with the gospel, we may suffer loss in this life, but that is nothing compared to the glory that will will be revealed in eternity. 
See, when my life is really submitted to the gospel, what will happen is there are moments because we are all imperfect and we all fall short that we may miss God. And in that, when we miss God, we may suffer, we may suffer some types of loss. But you need to be encouraged today and understand that the loss that we may suffer in this life is nothing to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in the life to come. The problem with us is that we want everything good here and now. And, and, we, and we don't know how to live with with our eyes not set on the things of this world, but set on the things of heaven. If I am really a person that is centered in the gospel, I am not living for today. I am not living to reap in this life. I am living to reap in the life to come. I am living for the glory that is to be revealed. I am living for the Savior. I am doing all that I'm doing for the glory of one, and that is God Almighty. And if that is not you, God calls you to repent and put your faith and trust in Him. That way, when you suffer loss, because everybody in this life who lives for Jesus or not will suffer some type of loss and the question is where is your treasure because the Bible says that wherever your treasure is there your heart is and if your heart is bound up in the things of this earth when you start to lose them you start to lose faith you start to lose hope you start to lose sight of what really matters and what God wants is for us to be focused on eternity and the rewards that are to come That is what it means to live a life that is centered on the gospel. See, and as I closed this message, as I was sitting down thinking about this message, I said, man, you know, there's another story of another ship in our Bible. And it is in the book of Jonah. And I want you to think about the two ships here. Because on one ship, you have a man by the name of Paul who was on his way to Rome and he was centered on the gospel. He had a message. He had a mission. And because of him, people's lives were saved. Not just from the storm, but from the intent of the, of the centurion or, or the soldiers that were going to kill them. Notice what it said. It said, first of all, they were saved from the storm because of what? God connects their salvation to the gospel message. It was only because, Paul, you have to stand before Caesar. You have to go to Rome. You have a gospel message and a gospel mission. And because they are connected to you, they are going to experience salvation because of that. But then you have this other guy by the name of Jonah, and he does the same thing. He gets on a ship too. And when he gets on this ship, he goes down to the lower part, and he goes to sleep. And guess what begins to happen? A storm rises up. And when the storm rises up, the ship starts to be broken up. And these people start throwing stuff overboard. They start questioning their gods and making sacrifices, trying to figure out what is going on. And I want you to notice the difference. The ship that Jonah was on, people were going to die because of him. People were going to lose life. If he would have stood on that ship without repentance, because of what? The same thing. He had a message, but he was running from it rather than to it. He was running from his purpose rather than running to his purpose. And the reason why I bring this up is because you have one guy who is on the ship, and all of us are on the proverbial ship of life. Hello. All of us are surrounded by people. And the reason I bring this up is because you and I need to ask ourselves a question. Do I want to be the type of person that's like Jonah, that people are going to die because of my disobedience? Or do I want to be the person like Paul, that people are going to be saved because of my obedience? See, we got it. We have to ask ourselves those questions. Which one do I want to be? And I'm just going to say this because as I was thinking about it, some of y'all are around some Jonas in your life and you need to get away from them because they're not going to repent and you're going to suffer loss because of them. Hear what I'm saying. 
There are some people, they disregard God. They disregard God's counsel. And you're staying around them and you're suffering loss. God doesn't want you to experience that. They need to repent of their sin. Are you hearing me? It's important for us to recognize, look, God wants our lives to be vessels of salvation for the world. He wants all of our life to be vessels of salvation for those who don't know him. And God wants us to be those people that are like Paul. Amen? Amen. So the last question that I have is, all of your life fully submitted to the mission of the gospel? I said earlier, you got to ask yourself these questions. Are my goals, are my values, are my desires, are my commitments, are all of these things centered around the gospel? Or am I the center of my life? Or is someone else the center of my life? Or is something else the center of my life? You have to be honest about those things. Am I really living a life that is centered around the gospel? And let me say this. Gospel mission is more than church attendance. It's more than connect life group participation. It's more than serving in ministry. It is being devoted to God's mission of making disciples, seeking and saving the lost. Because many people will say, well, I go to church and I go to connect. I go to Bible study, or I do whatever. I'm in the mentoring program. I'm in the vision carrier class. I serve in ministry. And so we start to pat ourselves on the back. But here's the thing. You can do all of that stuff, and the gospel will still not be center. And so really humbling our heart before God today and saying, God, what areas, what areas in my life are not centered on your mission, are not centered on you? And the bigger question is, will you turn from that today? Will you repent of that today? Will you lay that down before God today and say, God, I want all of my life to be centered on the gospel? Stand to your feet and bow your heads, please. Now, I want to open this altar today, and I want to allow for you to come forward if you need prayer. you recognize that there are some areas in your life that are just not centered on the gospel and you want to come and you want to allow the spirit of God to minister to you I encourage you to come out of your seat I encourage you to come to this altar if you need prayer there was something in this message that challenged you there's something in this message you say God I have I may maybe I'm that Jonah maybe I'm that person that is not allowing the blessing of God to flow to my family flow to my co-workers flow into my life maybe I'm that Jonah if that's you today God calls you to repent Stop disobeying him. Stop running from his call. Maybe in this place you say, God, I want to make sure that I am that Paul type. I want to be that person that is a vessel of salvation. So I open the altar for you, and I ask you to come forward, and the pastors will pray for you in this place as we sing worship. I'll invite the music ministry to come forward so we can worship the Lord. Glory to your holy name, God.